Hello and welcome to MikeyPod Podcast, episode 326 for March 29th, 2021. Today's guest is composer, violinist, educator, Daniel Bernard Romain, who has been in the news lately, and that's how he came on my radar, belatedly, sad to say. Um, I'm super excited to have learned about his work, but not so excited to hear about this news that the Tulsa Opera decided to decommission him. They removed a performance of his composition from a concert of Black composers and performers that's intended to commemorate the centennial of the Tulsa Race Massacre. There's a lot more to the story and a lot more to Daniel, and our conversation is magnificent, as is his music, which we will be listening to as well. Uh, So more on that, of course, during the interview. I am, by the way, your host, Michael Herron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for well over 15 years now. If you'd like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at MichaelHeron, or you can email me at MikeyPod at gmail.com. Listen, I'm super excited about today's interview, and I want to get to it as quickly as possible, so I'm not going to do my usual check-ins and whatnot. I do have some things to tell you, but you got to wait till next week. (laughs) But I do need to make sure I thank my subscribers on Patreon for powering this podcast. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines, bonus podcasts. There are around 70 of them now, and you get immediate access to all of this to download when you subscribe, Uh, including this week's bonus episode, which features an extended conversation with Ana La Madrid, who you heard on the podcast last week. I didn't get her bonus podcast posted in time. And then Daniel and I really got into our conversation and used up the bonus podcast time. So all of his conversation is going to be on today's podcast. And the bonus this week will be Anna La Madrid, who you heard from last week. And it's a really good bonus too. We talked in depth about some emotion art stuff, which was really great. So um, enjoy the podcast. As always, if you're not up for or interested in subscribing, that's perfectly fine. This podcast is available to you um, for as long as I can afford to keep the podcast up on the website. Um, And I really intend for it to be something free that that, uh, lifts up other artists and tells you about other people. And uh, so I'm happy for you to listen to it. And if you'd like to get a little bit more and support the podcast, you could do that at Patreon. Enough. I would like to get to some music from Daniel Bernard Romain. This is his composition performed by the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, which is from a film. I'll put a link to that film in the show notes here, too. You should definitely check it out. It's really beautiful. And this was performed recently, and the piece is called I Am a White Person Who Blank Black People. And right after this piece, we'll get into the interview. Thank you. 
That was the piece, I Am a White Person Who Blank Black People, performed by the New Jersey Symphony, composed by Daniel Bernard Romain. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. He's joining me now. I forgot to mention that part. Hey, happy to be here. I'm really happy to talk to you, and thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast at kind of sure. short notice. Yeah. Um, we have a lot to, <laughs> we got a lot to cover. <laughs> but a little I bit w- to talk about, sure. You know. <laughs> but obviously you're a composer. We talked about this, yeah. a violinist, you're an educator. Um, I just started learning about your work this week, so I feel cool. still like I'm gathering it all in. But cool. can we talk a little bit about the piece that we just heard? Yeah, yeah. Um, I am a white person who blank black people. Yeah. And um, it's for um, uh, small orchestra, strings, timpani, and percussion. It was commissioned by the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, specifically from their music director, uh, Xian Zhang, who's a wonderful woman, uh, Chinese conductor, who um, has really transformed that group and is committed to the... um, the um, is committed to New Jersey. Is committed to the, the city and the state, and um, we have an ongoing set of collaborations going. But this was at a time when, you know, we're, we're still kind of in the ether a little bit. This was an online film, um, mm-hmm. a wonderful recording, as you can hear, and there wasn't a lot of time to do it. Uh, you know, resources on all accounts were limited, but the will was there. And, you know, she was very clear that I could write about anything I wanted to. The title is purposely provocative. It's meant for the musicians on the stage who are almost always, you know, presumably white. It's Mm -hmm. also meant for an audience that is largely white. And and it it literally allows in a kind (laughs) of, so audiences are, well, this is, I mean, I'm old. In a kind of Mad Libs kind of fill in the blank way, you can decide how you feel about black people, Mm. you know? And, um... Yeah, it's you know about five minutes long or so, and it's a it's um it you know the film itself is very evocative of New Jersey, which is beautiful, and even the beautiful uh, New Jersey Performing Arts Center there get a lot of you know. So if, for your listeners, you want to see it online, you can you can just search by the title. Um, but the music itself does kind of speak to well, how do you feel about black people? Mm. What's the word or words you would use? So it presented some issues. Speaking it of did. white musicians. Uh, you, yeah. you were mentioning one before. Can you? Yeah. So, you know, as I've always have done, like everyone else, I talk about my life online. I talk about things that are going well, things that are, that are not going so well. And I also let people know, you know, uh, things that I have going on. So I posted online about this piece. And r- right away, I think within that, either that day or the next day, a musician from the Detroit Symphony Orchestra um, accused me of being racist for the title of the piece, for the intention of the piece. And that set off um, uh, some, uh, a conversation, a very healthy online conversation about the title of the piece, my intentions, and um, you know my reasoning, all of which he questioned, this particular musician. This particular musician, by the way, was a, a, a principal player in the orchestra for mm-hmm. close to 30 years. This particular musician had a say, uh, had a seat and a say at the audition table. And, you know, this particular musician was unapologetic. And, you know, I proudly sit on the board for the League of American Orchestras. So anything I say or do gets tagged one way or another. And I'm happy to say that the League intervened and put out a statement. Um, I believe uh, there were a couple other service organizations that put out a statement. In fact, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra put out a statement. And they were so, um, I think, both appalled and... Um, 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 concerned about 
representation, in this case, a former member of their orchestra, mm-hmm. that they have, uh, they, they decided then to do the piece. This was last year. And the piece is going to be done by the Detroit Symphony Orchestra in May of this year, 2021. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I'm glad that was the outcome. I mean, mm. for that part of it. Me too. I'm glad that was the outcome too. I mean, it's, you know, I would have preferred, you know, who wants to be called, especially as a black person, racist right. <laughs> or insensitive. Um, but I'm, I'm glad it was the outcome. You know, the League of American Orchestras really put out a pretty, you know, severe statement, you know, um, um, condemning, you know, this individual's stance, as did the Detroit Symphony. And you're right. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm glad that they, that, you know, how ironic that the orchestra that kind of birthed this man, you know, in a yeah. way, or at least his opinions about me, is, is now going to do the piece. And uh, subsequently, this musician has been kind of um, excommunicated, if you will, from the Detroit Symphony in, in a lot of ways. And I, I do think that's, a, that's appropriate. You know, the League is trying to change like a lot of other service organizations. And they're trying to be very specific in their embrace of not only BIPOC people, but the, uh, the discriminatory practices and policies uh, that these very same service organizations have have a historic um, embrace of and still need to uh, correct. Is that I, I'm I'm not as aware of it in the um, in the yeah. classical music world how different organizations are stepping up right in that way. Is that happening? It is. Fairly regularly? Yeah, it is. Slowly, and it's not enough, but I can tell yeah. you, I also serve on the board for the Association of Reforming Arts Professionals. We just put out um, a statement that is called, a, it's a pledge. It's the APAP pledge. It's called 10-20-30. It's a 10-year commitment, uh, 20% of your budget, programming budget, and 30% of your overall programming, including what's happened on the stage and behind it, towards uplifting BIPOC people, uh, people with disabilities, and people from the LGBTIQA plus community as well. Well done with those letters. I'm a member of that community. I think I got community. it right. LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah, I right. think I that's it. Missing one, I was going to thank you for getting them all because I'm a member of that community and also yes, sir. often oh. <laughs> miss a letter or two. Right. Let me not say sir. Sorry, that's also that not Oh, fair. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I'm glad you said that and uh-huh. I want to support... Um, you know, marginalized communities, as someone said, whoever's not in the global majority mm-hmm. um, is is um, part of something else, right? So, um, you know, or, or another way to look at it, we are the global majority <laughs> in right. many ways, right? We are the global majority. Um, so, you know, this notion of being a minority or disenfranchised or, you know, it, it, it's hard to get to a, a space where you feel like, you know, you are, you are a victim or you are, um, subject to, um, um malice or mm. subject to unfairness in justice. Yeah. And it's this level of, um, thinking of the situation with this musician, it's a level of malice that people aren't even aware that they're perpetuating, you know, like yeah. he, 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 to him, it seemed perfectly <laughs> sensical. Sure. sure. <laughs> With, I mean, and it's not like, I, I'm not saying right. that it's okay, but it just yeah. kind of, I'm, you know, uh, developing this awareness of like, Oh my God, <laughs> this like so yeah. much is happening. And yeah. so many of us, I'll, I'll speak for myself are still realizing how we're benefiting from it. Absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, I think it's hard to speak up, particularly in the performing arts, 
particularly in the commercial arts, because there is reputational risk. I'm still subject to rep, you know, a certain type of reputational risk, which means, you know, if I speak up too much, if I say too many things that hurt or um, maybe hurts too strong words that offend. You know, the people that are in charge, the people who hold the purse strings, who oftentimes are not from marginalized groups, mm-hmm. then I, I won't get those jobs. I won't get those commissions. I mean, that's, that's the irony, right? Just when you get to a point where you can actually say something with your work, you can't say something with your work because then the work might go away. Yeah. You know? And especially at a time of COVID, you know, every dollar is precious. And mm-hmm. every, in every potential, every engagement and every potential engagement is precious. So, you know. Yeah. Well, while we're on the subject of having an opportunity to use your voice and having it taken away, the thing that kind of <laughs> brought you on to my radar yeah. was uh, something that just happened with uh, Tulsa Opera. Yeah, Tulsa uh, Opera. Yeah. yeah. Can you give us a rundown on what happened there? Yeah. You know, it's it's funny to connect these dots. I hadn't thought about it this way, but, um, you know, <laughs> my work as a board member and as a composer in the orchestral world, oftentimes, you know, like a lot of composers, spills over into the operatic world. Um, so um, Tulsa Opera um, uh, um, commissioned me to write an aria for a program they were putting on to commemorate the 100-year anniversary of the what was referred to as the Tulsa Race Riot or the Tulsa Race Massacre. And in 1921, over the course of 18 hours, a white mob descended on a black-owned um, and very successful um, black community in Tulsa and burned it to the ground. They raped women. They murdered men, women, and children. They burned homes. They burned the stores. They burned the bank. Um, they burned a, a couple of churches, actually. Um, all in response to what they deemed was the, uh, a silly, uh, non, uh, you know, a non-event and, and, uh, and, and uh, the accusation of a young black man accosting a young black woman, uh, sorry, a young white woman in an elevator, mm. which by all accounts never happened. You know, um, this is a trope. Emma's Till, even Dr. Martin Luther King, this notion of black men accosting white women. So um, it was um, a horrific event. And um, one of the more, one of the most um, horrific incidences of, of in the 20th century of, uh, of, of um, murder and, and a massacre that um, was perpetrated by one race upon another. Um, white, mar- largely white men upon black people. So they wanted to commemorate this event. They asked me to write an aria, and I did. The last two lines of which are, God bless America, God damn America. They asked me to change the word damn to something else, either bless or help. I said no. So they fired me. I said decommissioned. Um, I just used that word because, you know, I, it's called, I don't know what you call it. I would call it rage posting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, I was upset. I was really upset, right? Yeah. And um, I just posted it, and that kind of led to, a, again, a conversation, an online conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just the, yeah, man. I'm laughing just because what else am I going to do at this point, you know? Well, you got to laugh yeah. about it. Sometimes. Well, that... I, I, I find I know, myself I kind of at a loss for yeah. multiple reasons, one of them being... Right. I'm poor, poorly educated w- about a lot of this stuff. I, I mm-hmm. had heard of 
this yeah. race riot. But sure. I think only because it's been talked about in the last year. I, I didn't sure. learn about this in school. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been movies and, you know, Lovecraft Country and Greenwood. And, you know, there, there are other there are shows and movies that have kind of used this as a launching point to talk about, you know, larger issues. But, yeah, it's not really well known. It's not taught in school or anything like that, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but for this, the the whole purpose of this concert and your yeah. commission was <laughs> right. to give a voice to BIPOC artists. Or, yeah. Yeah. And specifically black people. Yeah. And yeah. then for them to be like, uh, we want to make a space for you to use your voice, but not like that. Yeah. And, you know, it, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I guess if I take a step back, again, reverting to my role as, let's say, a board member mm-hmm. um, to either APAP or the league, um, I can understand how as a producing agent, you as a producing agent might have qualms about language. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that Tulsa is in a red state, a conservative part of our country, the Bible, so-called Bible Belt, which is also, by the way, not lost on me. <laughs> where, is, where is forgiveness here? Where is understanding here? But yeah. be that as it may, I can understand how, how as a producing agent, you may have um, concerns, legitimate concerns about language. This is not unusual in our business. You know, we both know this. And I, by the way, have, I've been mu- music director to Bill T. Jones. I've worked with Little Buck and Savion Glover. And I've been in situations where either it's nudity Mm-hmm. Or or words or the set or whatever you work with the producing agent to come to a mutually beneficial and understanding of what is best for all parties, right? So it's not unusual in our business for the producing agent to say, "Oh, you know, can we talk about this?" And you know, here's my audience. Here are my concerns. What what who who are, who or what is your audience? What are your concerns? How can we work together? All of this to say that had Tulsa Opera simply said, hey, we have concerns about language. How can we work together better? If me and the singer involved, uh, Denise Graves, who I quite frankly love and support, and I really do wish her well and worry about her, um, had been given the space to simply communicate and be with one another and understand one another, uh, none of this would have happened. But what happened was you had um, the intervention of a white man. You had the intervention and the lack of courage of a producing agent that instead of wanting to work with me, they decided it was best to fire me. And I think that that's part of the outrage here. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, there's a part, I think, maybe this is for my fellow white listeners. Like there's a point where we have to realize giving a space to black artists is not the end of the story. Like we have to, like, (laughs) we have to like, you know, look at how we're, relating with each other in within that realm and this person yeah. didn't appear to be you know like no no there's and yeah no go and, ahead go ahead well it's out there i mean tobias picker who is the the interventionist in this situation um i i, I you know i know who he, i knew who he was we've never worked together i respect him still the, that's not the problem the problem is he doesn't respect me mm-hmm you know, in 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 um, in he was the one who suggested that I change the words. He is the one that suggested that these words would be uh, quote unquote uh, more elegant. And he is the one that I maintained then and now was trying to equate his lived 
experience with mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from what I've read myself in the press, he is pretty clear that this isn't about race. And that is what's so painful and problematic, is that he does not yet understand how his race, quite frankly, his gender, empowers him in a way, quite frankly, you and I will not um, have. We won't have that kind of equity unless we fight for it, unless we're vocal about it. And that's also part of the outrage. Because I think that, you know, there's a shared morality that Tobias Picker and I do not share, right? And it's centered on this notion that he is absolutely convinced that what he wanted was simple. Why can't he just change one word? Mm -hmm. And how ironic that in opera, it's all about the marriage of words and music. Every word is precious. And look how precious. Because Mm -hmm. my refusal to change that one word has led to an uproar. And I think that he and Tulsa Opera should really be asking themselves why. If I'm wrong... Why this response? Mm-hmm. Right? So, but that's maybe a little bit too egotistical. I apologize for that. Because <laughs> yeah, it's really know. not a, well, it's not about me. I think this, this, this back and this, this event has triggered something. Mm-hmm. And it's triggered this sense of anyone who's ever been marginalized for these kind of petty, non consequential reasons, but that, that really speak to what is so important to us, right? It's that kind of mild racism. It's those those nuanced moments of 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 um, of uh, discrimination, right? Anyone who's ever felt that, it, this is a trigger towards that. Mm. And of course, there are deeper implications because in this case, I will not be a part of the program. You know, it's it's a ser- it's a serious thing, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always like to talk about, and I'm very interested in how. Um, art, different forms of art are used, how the art itself can move forward, activists, social justice movements. But this is the first time I really thought about the process of the art, like the Mm. art uh, about how, you know, this, it's, it's a disgraceful thing that, that you were decommissioned with this piece yeah, and definitely not the desired outcome. Right. But there's another outcome that's happening, and that's the conversation. And and it just makes me realize, like, oh, there's more to, you know, what we try to say with our work. There's also this other, like, political part of putting it up right. and making it happen. And then right. then these conversations that you know might not have happened otherwise. And I right. I'm, I worry that it sounds like I mean, well, look at the bright side. Look what came <laughs> oh, out of it. Yeah, so that's not yeah, at all right. what I mean. Right. But no. it's it it it's. I'm just, it's just hitting me like this different value that, that mm-hmm. art has that I hadn't really connected with before. You're right. You know, art at its best has literally has, um, it, it is priceless. It has no value. You know, in other words, beyond the monetary, beyond the pure financial transaction, you know, art um, inspires. It conjures up a, a conversation. It challenges us. So in this sense, when I say trigger, I mean that it, it, it's very clear to me because I have been on both sides of this now. I, I am a fan of Emily Johnson. I don't know if you know about Emily Johnson, but Emily Johnson is a Native, um, a Native American uh, dancer and choreographer and entrepreneur who was working with uh, Montclair State University. And 
was involved in a, a a phone conference in which Jed Wheeler, a white man, lost his temper and um, chewed everybody on the call out, including Emily. And it triggered in her all of those moments of humiliation and prejudice and racism that she has suffered through and her and her people and her family have suffered through through generations. And through a series of uh, non-replies and miscommunications on Montclair State University's part, it also triggered in, in the performing arts field a massive response that is ongoing as far as what Emily Johnson was saying as an artist and the money and from the NEA and other um, um, grants that she lost and the people that she couldn't employ due to this, this um, ar- not, not even argument, due to Jed Wheeler's temper, hmm. which is legendary, by the way, legendary, right? Uh, I, I watched and, have, and watched this unfold you know, this speaks directly to this notion of true equity. Who holds power over you? So I watched it unfold. And now in this situation, I am watching it unfold from a different perspective where the artist, again, is simply saying, um, I have a voice and I have rights and I have um, a story to tell that only I can tell, right? Mm-hmm. And you have... Um, an authority, a white-led authority, in this case, Tulsa Opera, who is quite literally saying, we don't want you on our stage. We don't want your voice to be heard. And we're going to strip away any rights that you have. Now, they did pay the commission. The commission was $1,500. Um, I've donated that to back into a, 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 a website and a location called uh, theystillwanttokillus.com. On, at that location, you can download the piece for free or anything that you can afford to pay. You can think of other ways to be involved in any way that you want in this particular situation. You can donate to other BIPOC opera artists in the field. And know that I'm reading every single entry and um, am responding to um, what is now hundreds of donations and responses and so on and so forth to this issue. So to, to, to speaking to what you were just saying, I think the artist as activist is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, um, as you were saying before, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, look on the bright side, I created a site. We created a site. It's, I'm represented by Zozo Artists. We created a space and a site where people's voices can and will be heard as far as this issues and other issues are concerned. Mm. I, yeah, I was just looking at the site and that it, yeah. it's such a, a cool way to re gather, <laughs> gather. gather. Like yeah, that, yeah, I was going to put yeah. it in a more negative way, I think. No, but, gather's good. Yeah. yeah. Is it, um, did I see on there too that there were calls for performances and videos? Of oh, yeah. The oh, yeah. So the pieces, there were people learning the piece, transposing the piece. Uh, one gentleman is going to uh, do a guitar, classical guitar version. There's a mm. piano group that's going to do it. There are several singers who are doing it, a chorus, an orchestra. I believe the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra is figuring out a way to do it oh, wow. uh, as well. Yeah. So, you know, the piece now is going to be done by more people. So, you know, in a, in a I don't know. Um, I was raised Catholic. I believe in the divine. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in um, in a, a kind of um, a divine right, if you will, or righteousness. I, I believe in in the good. 
You know, I believe in the good of the universe. Part of me is Buddhist, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think in this sense, um, something important happened that wouldn't have happened had the piece just been performed. And I think it's also important for you and your listeners to know, I have and will continue to reach out to Tulsa Opera, to Denise Graves, to Tobias Picker. I have emailed them several times saying, you want to know the best way that this story ends, this typical story ends? Through reconciliation. My hand, my arms are wide open. What could be better than myself and Denise Graves and Tobias Picker and Tulsa, Tulsa, Tulsa Opera reconciling? And finding our way forward together again. And so I hope that happens. I really do. We're a long way from May 1st. I hope reconciliation and the truth can find one another in this particular situation. That would be, I mean, a great outcome, right? Because the yeah. conversation would have happened right. that needed to happen. And exactly. the peace could still happen. It could, it could absolutely still happen with yeah. her and with them. Yeah. 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 It's such an interesting, I mean, that's an understatement. I mean, it's... Yeah. It, 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 I think it gives everyone who hears the story and is becoming aware or already aware of of the way we all relate to each other right. in this country. Oh, to really, you know, <laughs> we got to fit. I mean, I any of this conversation feels so, you know, from my side, I'm a little like, yeah, I, you already know that this conversation should have happened years ago. But Absolutely. I'm glad that yeah, but I'm glad that <laughs> more of us are realizing it well you're you're absolutely right there's a young woman on tiktok <laughs> my son's 11 years old you know and he's you know a voracious tiktok he has a voracious tiktok appetite he's always on it the thing about it though it's, it's incredibly educational see this is what gets lost right mm-hmm. my son who is biracial who is bi-religious half catholic half jewish half black half white half german half haitian <laughs> you name it you know his blood is rich his blood is rich with so many different people and so mm-hmm. many different cultures and so many different perspectives. That said, through TikTok, and he's also you know, a very good student, he's very well educated on, on race history in a way that I never was at 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And there's a young woman on TikTok who talked about this event and in a way that you know, in less than 58 seconds, she tells you the whole story. Yeah. Well, she garnered 60,000 views, well over 500 comments. I'm saying this because as I read the comments, there's incredible empathy there for mm. both sides. I hate saying it that way because that's a recall of something. There's, yeah. there's a real complexity in the handling of this situation in those comments. You know, one gentleman was like, I will never like opera, but I'm really interested in what's going on here. Hmm. You know, another person said, well, why couldn't they just get another singer who would sing those words? You know, another person's like, why couldn't this singer just, you know, really meet with the composer and work with him? You know, so I think that um, there's, um, again, as as an occasion, as they say, as an opportunity for a broader conversation, I'm, I'm I am um, buoyed, bu- buoyed, supported by the fact that. Um, maybe my generation doesn't see things quite as nuanced and complex and rich as younger generations. Yeah. And that's the thing. They, I think, have a shared morality. I know we get distracted by hate crimes, which are important. I know we get distracted by some of the things that misguided youth do. Murder, 
gang-related activities, so on. But that's part of the American fabric, lest we forget, right? There's also a different story happening with the younger generation, right? And that is they are very clear in their morality. And they are going to lead us, I think, and are leading us towards uh, uh, the promise of, of a better of, 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 a, of, a, of a better, uh, more enlightened and more just society. Mm. And art making, by the way, too. Yeah, um, I am a big fan of TikTok for the same reason yeah, <laughs> your son is. <laughs> right, I know, right? <laughs> because, I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like, there's so many um, BIPOC TikTokers that I've subscribed to because, mm. you know, there's an openness in this in the discussion there and yeah. and I agree with you like there's a lot more understanding and willingness to to you know kind of do what you're doing as well of like no this isn't this isn't right the way yeah. this is happening and yeah. here's how it needs to be so exactly yeah and i you know i appreciate that young woman i appreciate um well, I appreciate the love and support. I mean, I, I think two things I do think are worth mentioning. When I first got the email from Tobias Picker, when he was asking me to change these this word, it it was so it was. It, I have to be honest; it really hurt. It hurt to my core because in that moment, I realized, wow, he did not see me as a peer. He did mm. not see me as something equal to him. He did not see me as a fifty-year-old, you know, fairly accomplished composer. He. It felt like composition lesson. And not only that, it felt like you wanted to continue the conversation within this notion of I'm going to correct you. Mm-hmm. It hurt deeply. It's a, you know, and those those moments are often private and they they wound you. They because you realize, wow, this person just doesn't see me, doesn't hear me, and he doesn't want to. And I think that's important to mention because I'm sure you have felt that way. And sometimes it comes from out of seemingly out of nowhere. Maybe I'm naive. But I still approach someone thinking that we might be able to love one another. That's the way I was raised, you know? Yeah. And in that moment, I realized, well, he doesn't have to love me, but can he respect me? Can he understand what I wrote as a composer? He would never send an email like that to Philip Glass. Mm. He would never send an email like that to Joan Tower or John Adams or Hans Zimmer for your audience, right? You yeah, did? yeah, yeah. But he felt like he could send an email like that to me. And yet, he won't ask himself why. And he certainly won't say it was about race. And that's where he's wrong. And yeah. that's where the second thing I would say, that's why it's so important for Tulsa Opera to, I think, think about what I'm offering now in terms of let's have that conversation privately, together, in the same room. Let's talk about institutional change. Forget about me for a second. If you're treating me this way, you've treated others this way, and you're going to continue to. Mm -hmm. right? Let's talk about what is happening in your city. I have heard from city civic leaders, city and civic leaders in Tulsa, who do not agree with that opera company, who want to bring me there, who want to perform the piece. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow. So... I'm 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 going to go to the concert because many of my friends are on the concert and I want to support them. Mm-hmm. But this is an opportunity for Tulsa Opera to tr- to truly change in a field. This needs to be said that is still racist. Opera is racist. 
opera hurts people. Opera is not fair, right? Mm -hmm. And specific to this conversation, James Levine, who led the Metropolitan Opera for 40 years, he was a rapist. He was a pedophile. He was a predator. Lead with that. He was a musician, but he was a rapist, pedophile, and predator. And we got to be brave enough to say that was wrong. The Metropolitan Opera is a site where young boys were raped, where, where, where young boys were sexually assaulted, and women too. And the man still leading it. I've been very vocal. Peter Gelb is still there, still making decisions. Mm-hmm. That's the shared. Mor- sorry, brother. I'm sorry to go to church right no, now, but when it. I say share, I don't share that morality. Who among us would? Right. We've got to be vocal. Uh, and unless Tulsa Opera understands in the Bible Belt that if you say God bless America and you feel so strongly about it that I become subject to eviction based on those moralistic lines, hell. You have an opportunity now for redemption with me and with all the BIPOC people and the LGBTQIA community that is wedded together. We are united in this. Asian people around the world are being punched in the face, are being assaulted. That's a historic problem in this country and worldwide. We are together in this. Our morality is clear, is yours. So that's the, this is where I am so disappointed so hurt in the performing arts field to just simply say it's wrong and this is what the changes we're going to make to do better. And to be really clear on this show, Peter Gilb cannot lead the Met. He cannot lead the Met, right? And Tulsa Opera has to make a better set of choices moving forward because it's not going to get better for any of us unless change comes and it comes now. Not no, now. Mm. All right, that's my. <laughs> I'm done, brother. No, I'm done. I, all right. that the, all, I mean, obviously, all that needed to be said, and I love these moments. One of the things I'm trying to learn as an interviewer is I don't have to follow up with like my own deep thoughts. And this Ooh. is a great opportunity to be like, yeah, there's yeah. nothing else to say about that than what you well, just said. Yeah, you yeah. know, I am. Um, I've been derelict of my duty. I have not talked about uh, the Asian community and, and hate and violence within the Asian community. I have been derelict in my duty. I have not said enough about um, hate and violence in the LGBTQIA community. Mm-hmm. You know, I love you, brother. And by that, I mean, I need to be an advocate for you publicly, you know? And I've been derelict in my duty. I haven't really thought about people with disabilities and my mm-hmm. own complicity in not creating a space for them. I'm wearing a yellow jacket today with a black shirt. My head is shaved. I'm kind of got a little bit of scruff on my face. And for those who can't, well, for those who will never be able to see me, that's what I look like today. You know, you've got a full, beautiful beard, these red headphones on. (laughs) And, you know, it's interesting. If you just took a picture of us, you know, and thought about January 6th, right? If we said nothing at all, you would think that you're on one side and I'm on the other. Yeah. Right? But then we speak. And even the sound of your voice, I find comfort in it. Right. As a composer, I'm particularly attuned to the tenor and the tone of anybody's voice. And just the sound of your voice, Michael, right? I find comfort in it. I don't know if Tulsa Opera understands that in their messaging. Hmm. The tenor and tone of what they're trying to do is not in concert with the civic leaders in Tulsa. It's just not. Yeah. Right. So, uh, 
Everything matters. And, you know, they still want to kill us.com. You can look at it, you can look at anything literally. And as artists, you know, we we don't do that, but we can you can look at that. It's it's not yeah, they still want to kill us for sure. And you know, January sixth, and by the way, what happened in San Francisco and what happened in Boulder, Colorado, they absolutely still want to kill us. But you know, by that I also mean metaphorically, they still want to deny us. They still want to erase us. They still want to silence us. They still want to oppress us. That's what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. God bless America, sure. God love America, sure. But just like James Baldwin, I reserved the right to love America so much that I want to criticize her perpetually. So it's not that it's not just goddamn America. It's um, God um, 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 help America to be better. <laughs> God, yeah. please change. Please help America understand its implicit and broad and very effective uh, 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 racism and white and history of white supremacy and history of exclusion. That's what I'm getting at. Mm. Yeah. I, I love that notion that both of those things can exist at the same time, right? Absolutely. God bless America, and maybe the, I don't want to. I don't want to assume what your it's point okay. was, right? But you know that that's yeah. what that says to me at the end of the yeah. of the piece. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I I hate to do it, but we have to wrap this thing up. Yes, brother. Well, we'll we'll do another show and talk about something else. Maybe part two. Maybe there'll be a part two of this story. Yeah, the the about. redemption. The redemption. <laughs> Truth, oh. reconciliation. Truth, rehabilitation, and reconciliation. Ah, uh, I love it. Um, so we should make sure people know. We already mentioned the website. They still want to kill us. dot com. Yeah. Um, where can we find your specific? Well, your other specific work. Yeah, it's easy. Uh, DanielRomain. dot com. So uh, just Daniel Romain, R O U M as M as in Mary, A I N as in Nancy. DanielRomain. dot com. That's the hub. And um, uh, yeah, that's where you know. And if you you know if you find me online, I usually respond. I'll do my best to respond to every personal inquiry or you know anything else and of course uh check out uh the association of performing arts professionals apap365.com and the league of american orchestras.com as well for the important work happening there ah thank you so much for taking the time to join me today Uh, thank you michael pleasure and so we come to the end of another episode of Mikey Pod. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Daniel Bernard Romain, for being on the show this week. Be sure to check out his work and we can follow the story together. Leave a review if you like the show. Tell a friend. Check out patreon.com slash Michael Heron if you'd like some extra episodes. And I'll see you next week.